It's Living on Earth. I'm Steve Kerwood. The superstorm called Sandy was a wake-up call in the U.S., laying bare the vulnerabilities of our built environment in the face of dangerous new realities of climate disruption. Rising sea levels and severe storm surges target coastal communities, and many towns and cities are inadequately protected. So the question is, what are we going to do about it? It's the kind of problem that engages thinkers like Dr. Elliot Sklar. He directs the Center for Sustainable Urban Development at Columbia University's Earth Institute and joins us by Skype. Welcome to Living on Earth. Thank you. It's nice to be with you. So how surprised were you by that damage that was caused by Hurricane Sandy? Well, I was surprised and I wasn't surprised. I obviously was surprised the timing of it and knowing what the actual extent of the damage was. But as an economist and an urban planner who deals with sustainable cities, the notion that this was going to happen was not something that came out of the blue to me. So in that sense, it was kind of one of those moments when, you know, well, we told you so. But I didn't say that because, you know, it's really a serious problem for lots of people. A lot of the efforts at climate change legislation in this country, really around the world, have been aimed at reducing emissions. What should we be doing now to get a coherent policy on adaptation? That's a very important point. While we do have to mitigate, even if we were to end all greenhouse gas emissions tomorrow, there still would be a major problem going forward because of all the carbon that's accumulated in the atmosphere already. The real question is, what are we going to do to adapt to the new realities of the new climate that we face? Some of the answers that you're hearing probably are technical ones. Protection against storm surges for coastal communities is one of the things you hear. Hardening infrastructure against flooding conditions. The issue that we face is how are we going to begin to accomplish the kinds of changes that we need to put in place? As you know, if you followed the last few years, the debates in Congress about cap and trade and uh, mitigation doesn't sell very well, but I do believe that adaptation is going to sell a lot better. One of the things that Sandy did was create a democratic crisis. By a democratic crisis, I don't mean a political crisis. I mean uh, people rich and poor all were affected by this storm. In the past, a lot of uh, events that created a lot of dislocations were felt disproportionately by poor people. For example, Katrina was largely a story of the, the Ninth Ward and the way poor people fared in that storm. In this particular storm, people living in lower Manhattan, some of the most affluent people in the country, perhaps in the world, were walking around with flashlights, didn't have power, didn't have heat, uh, depending upon the kinds of systems that they had. This is very much like what happened in the 19th century when we were dealing with things like cholera epidemics. Before we understood what germs were, it became very clear that the only protection for the rich was going to be the protection of everybody else. And when you get that kind of political cohesiveness, we really do have a chance to make something change. What about things like uh, marshes and rain gardens on roofs in in the city, uh, permeable concrete to help deal with the runoff? How much should we be thinking about those? All those are good ideas. Those are things we teach. Those are things we preach. Green roofs, painting roofs white to better reflect heat. Forms of you know more permeable concrete in parking lots. All those are things that we talk about, but we're going to have to go a lot further. It's technical, but it's also social. It's got to be social policy. It's got to be land use policy. It's going to have to be infrastructure policy. And it really is going to have to be 
the use of government incentives. We have to begin to incentivize people to live in walkable and bikeable communities. Right now, all the incentives that we have are to build more highways and move people out. And that isn't just an American problem. I'm confronting the same problem on doing planning in in African cities, in Nairobi right now. This really is going to take developing a broad-based understanding about what these issues are. And I think that we have an opening for this dialogue right now. It really is a question of bringing the society together. And, and I think things like the, the common thread of something like this storm gives us a shot at it. What about the question of rebuilding infrastructure that has been damaged by this storm? And how many of the places that have been damaged should we even think about rebuilding? That's one of those questions I teach my graduate students to begin answering by saying, well, it depends. You have to really look critically at the infrastructure in in different places and begin to think about what can be rebuilt where. That's one of those questions I think we're going to be asking, and I think we have to ask, but it's not not a question that... um, that you just say in a general sense, well, we're going to have to get rid of things. We're going to have to learn how to adapt things more. With rising sea levels and uh, storm surges increasing, how do you incentivize uh, living away from the water? you got to break that into two parts. Certainly um, for higher income groups, the notion of waterfront living has been something that's been very attractive. It is attractive to live by the water can, you know, and to sit by the water can be very calming and soothing. But one of the things we have to do is we have to talk about um, insurance and saying that if you want to live there, you have to pay for it. You have to bear the risk if that's your choice. But I would be cautious about that because there are a lot of people on Staten Island who are living by the water who are not affluent people. There's a lot of working class and poor communities that are in those places because they were low-lying places. The Ninth Ward in New Orleans was not a Tony neighborhood. So those people do not need to be lectured to and told um, that they've made bad choices. They made the best choice given the options that were open to them. And what we have to do, we have to talk about this not just an issue of environmental policy, but it's an issue of social policy as well. We have to really talk about how we create opportunities for housing that works in other places. We have to really begin to pull this apart in a much more communal and democratic way. Elliot Sklar, what's the silver lining to all of this? You know, uh, where you stand has a lot to do with where you sit, I guess. But people have been badly wiped out. I don't think they see any silver lining. For people who have lost their homes who are, who are sleeping on, on cots and shelters right now, who were living comfortable lives until just a week ago, I'm not sure they see a silver lining. For those of us who do urban sustainability, what we see is, is a chance to begin to make people understand why we're so concerned about climate change, why we have been sounding the alarms that we've been sounding, why, why we have been trying to get the attention of politicians. So if that's a silver lining, we got it. Elliot Sklar is director of the Center for Sustainable Urban Development at Columbia's Earth Institute. Professor, thanks so much for taking this time. My pleasure.